0: welcome 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 you guys to the killer tea party i am your host kate woodage and you have found a podcast that can speak to your murder solving soul we talk all things criminal and mystery here delving deep into the who done whodunits and the why i have to apologize in advance guys if i sound like shit i feel so sick right now it's not corona everything's all good but it's still crappy enough for my voice to be affected so yeah sorry about that anyways let's dive into what you're all here for Today's murder is one you have to have been living under a rock to not be familiar with. JonBenet Ramsey, the adorable six-year-old American beauty queen from Boulder, Colorado. It is so tragic to lose one so young, but this case is just too good not to talk about it with you guys. I don't want to hold off any longer on this one, so pull up your chairs, grab your beverages, and let's talk murder. So it's Christmas Day, the Ramses are throwing a party, and they put their daughters to bed around 9pm. Cut to early morning on December 26th, 1996. John and Patsy Ramsey wake up to find their six-year-old daughter, Jean Benet, is missing from her bed. So they'd actually woken up particularly early that morning to prepare for a trip that they'd been planning, and instead, they find a ransom note on their stairs, demanding that they pay $118,000 for their daughter's safe return. But we will get into that part in a little bit. For now, let's take a closer look at the actual murder itself. So, despite this ransom note telling the Ramsays to not actually involve the police, Patsy called them pretty much immediately after. Then she called in some friends and family to search for Jean Benoit, and the ransom note claimed that they would call, but they never did. Now, although the police actually came to the residence at 5:55 a.m. in the morning, nobody thought to check in the basement for Jean Benoit, which ultimately would be where her body was found. Now at the time, there was kind of a lot of shoddy police work on this one, which I think could have seriously damaged the outcome. Before finding the body, they had only taped off jean Bonnet's bedroom, which meant the whole rest of the house had foot traffic from all of the friends and family that the Ramseys had invited over. They could have quite easily destroyed evidence, or better than that, actually taken some with them, either accidentally or on purpose. The Boulder Police also told the Ramseys evidence they had already found, before actually even interviewing and eliminating the parents as suspects. So as I said, the ransom call actually never came, and it was a little odd that nobody seemed to notice at the time that the window of opportunity had actually closed. At 1pm, the police instructed Mr. Ramsey and a friend to walk around his home and see if anything looked janky or out of place. The very first place that they go to check is, you guessed it, the basement. Now, what did John do upon finding his daughter? He picked her up. John! What the hell, dude? It's like, rule 101 of this shit. Do not touch anything. Especially the body. He even brought her upstairs. Not only was he disturbing the crime scene, he was also destroying forensic evidence. I would be so pissed if I was on this case. Now, on the flip side of this, as a parent, I know the instinct to hold your dead child must be so unbelievably strong. But I would refrain if I thought for a second it would bring me closer to the son of a bitch who killed them. Now, onto the not-so-nice bit. During the autopsy on Bonnet, the coroner found her cause of death to be asphyxiation due to strangulation. She also had a gnarly skull fracture. Her mouth had been covered over by duct tape, and both her neck and her wrists were wrapped with a white cord. Her torso area had been covered over by a white blanket. Now, what is weird and kind of sickening is there was indeed evidence of sexual assault. However, there was no semen present, and the vaginal area had seemingly been wiped clean which meant somebody cleaned up after themselves she had like this homemade garret around her neck which was made using a length of cord and patsy ramsey's paintbrush both were found in the basement now there was also pineapple found in her stomach contents which doesn't really seem that relevant until you consider that her parents denied that she ever had any pineapple the night before she died yet a bowl of pineapple was found in the kitchen with her brother's fingerprints on the side since that technically could have occurred at any time the police chose to ignore it the Ramseys claim that the brother, Burke, was in his room the whole time and unfortunately no evidence was really found to suggest otherwise. Now for the bit I've been waiting for, we're going to dive into the ransom note. The note read, Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully, we are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We respect your business but not the country that it serves. At this time we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed and if you want her to see 1997 you must follow our instructions to the letter you will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 of that will be in $100 bills and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate size attache to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence an earlier pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as the police, FBI, etc, will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies you will be scanned for electronic devices and if any are found she dies you can try and deceive us but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics you stand a 99 chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us follow our instructions and you stand a 100 chance of getting her back you and your family are under constant scrutiny as well as the authorities don't try to grow a brain john you are not the only fat cat around so don't think that killing will be difficult don't underestimate us john use that good southern sense sense of yours. It is up to you now John. Victory. And they signed it SBTC. So I want to dive a little deeper here on this letter. Obviously this was a huge piece of evidence for the case and who took jean Bonnet. Now the police and the parents are both of the belief whoever wrote this note was of course her killer. Because it was handwritten, if they had a suspect in custody, they could have done a handwriting comparison and could actually solve this case pretty easily. Too bad, so sad, that nobody was ever a match. But maybe that's because they're looking at the wrong suspects. We'll revisit that in a little bit, but I want to get back to the note. So this letter is pretty long by ransom note standards and it takes a while to get to the point which for sure is unusual. It was like three pages long which made it seem kind of far-fetched. There's also a lot of parts of the letter that don't really make sense. When it says we're a group of individuals, isn't every group made up of individuals? The fact that they also call themselves foreigners but don't really specify where they're from. They wrote that they respect your business. This tells us that they were aware of John's business, which was Access Graphics, but it seems like a weird compliment to give if he wasn't the target. If this is about jean Bonnet, why would they give a crap about John's business? The fact they're asking for such a specific amount of money is bizarre. They're obviously under the impression that the Ramseys have money, but why this specific amount? It's pretty small in the grand scheme of things, and kidnappers aren't exactly understanding people. Times are tough, I'll take what I can get. Like I'd want all your money. There's also a lot of changes within the letter from we to I, and if this is a group like it claims, surely it would just stick with the one. The kidnapper also scribbled out words. They changed delivery when referring to giving back jean Bonnet to pick up. If I was a kidnapper, I would not be delivering anybody. You'd be picking them up for some random location whilst I'm already halfway to Mexico. They also use words like watching over Bonnet, and this to me kind of sounds like she's already dead. You'd keep a close eye on someone who could potentially escape you, but watching over just sounds really casual. Also, it says the gentlemen watching don't like you. This doesn't sound scary and aggressive, this sounds like a prim and proper lady saying this. There are a couple of different feels of feminist energy across this note, but this one for me was a decider. Now the end of the letter refers to Mr. Ramsay as John. This is way too impersonal for a stranger, so I would say that whoever wrote this knows him in some capacity. I think in all honesty the ransom note wasn't to save jean bonnet i think it was ultimately a murder made to look like a kidnapping after the fact there's a lot of evidence that points to the ramses actually being involved like the ransom note actually being written with a pen and a pad of paper from their house the nylon cord around jean bonnet's neck that was used to strangle her had been made by a broken paintbrush belonging to patsy and they never fully eliminated patsy as a handwriting match to the note In 1996, John also received a Christmas bonus of exactly $118,000. Maybe that amount was on his mind when they were writing the note. Maybe Patsy was aware that he had that money to give. I mean, any way you look at this note, something about it just feels off. It doesn't feel right. Do I think a real kidnapper wrote it? No. So people believe there are two major theories on what happened here. Theory one, an intruder could have gotten into the house. Yes, there was some physical evidence at the time that could suggest this, but it's not enough for me. There was a boot print found next to the body which didn't match anybody in the family, and a broken window in the basement which could easily have been the point of entry. However, outside the window there was undisturbed snow and a spiderweb still intact. If somebody had broken the window, surely that stuff wouldn't be there. Also, John actually claimed that he had already broken the window accidentally before the murder ever occurred. There was also a suitcase found at the scene containing a semen-stained blanket and a Dr. Seuss book. The Ramseys claim it isn't theirs and have no idea how it got there. On John Bonet's underwear, there was DNA found from a few drops of blood that was said to come from an unknown male. However, for me, yes, I'd like an explanation, but it isn't enough. If we're really looking at the parents, it just doesn't sit right with me. The ransom note is clearly a fake. The fact the parents didn't want to cooperate with the police at the time because they were afraid that they would be suspects is such bogus. If that was me and I knew I was innocent, I'd hold my hands up and say search me. The sooner I'm eliminated, the sooner you can find the real killer. Ron's handwriting and his son's were not a match to the note, but Patsy's was never eliminated. Now, it's not just me on this kick. The media at the time were super sus on the Ramses, and in 1999, a Colorado jury voted to indict the Ramses on child endangerment and obstruction of a murder investigation. As they should. Unfortunately, the prosecutor at the time felt that evidence wasn't substantial enough to prove beyond a reasonable doubt and did not proceed. We can't talk suspects without throwing into the mix John Jar. He was actually arrested in 2006 when he confessed to being the killer. He claimed he had accidentally murdered Jean Bonnet after drugging and raping her. He was dismissed however as a suspect when test analysis proved that no drugs were present in Jean Bonnet's system. Police couldn't prove he was in the area at the time of the crime either and his DNA didn't match any of the samples from the scene. This was not our guy and God knows why he confessed. Unfortunately none of the DNA samples taken from Jean Bonnet have ever been successfully matched with a suspect. Also in 2006, a DA named Mary Lacey took an interest in the case and decided that the intruder theory was way more plausible than parental murderers. In 2008, using DNA evidence pulled from jean Bonnet's Long Johns, she fully exonerated the Ramsey family, claiming none of them were suspects. The case went stagnant for a little bit, but in 2010 the case was officially reopened with more focus on the DNA samples. Further testing resulted in indication there's actually two samples from two individuals present. In 2016, the DNA was sent to the Colorado BOI and tested with newer technology in hopes of getting a stronger DNA profile. It was also the year that CBS ran a show called The Case of JonBenet Ramsey, and it heavily implicated her brother at the time of being the killer. Although he was only nine years old at the time, a lot of people share this same theory. Burke, however, did not feel the same, and he filed a hefty 750 million dollar lawsuit against CBS for defamation of character, ending with the case settling out of court. It doesn't seem that far-fetched to me if you look at the rumours floating around that he actually wiped shit all over her walls on separate occasions. It seems pretty weird red flag behaviour to me. Now Burke could have struck his sister in the head, in a fit of rage, maybe even accidentally. I mean, Pineapple was in her stomach, maybe she stole some of his fruit and that pissed him off enough to snap. His parents, seeing what he'd done, they could have decided to clean up his mess, protect their surviving child from jail time. However, Jean Benet was also strangled while she was still alive. Now, this either points to intent to murder by Burke or her parents, or they didn't do it. Now, Throwing in a horrible thought into the mix, it's not so uncertain though, Jean Benet was being molested either by her brother or her parents. Her mother, Patsy, even took her to the doctors once for vaginal irritation, but she claimed it came from a bubble bath. On jean Bonnet's back, too, had been two small little dot holes, and it could have been she was stun-gunned and incapacitated so they could do whatever they wanted to her with no resistance. The DNA found in her pants could also be as simple as it came from the factory the panties were made in. Gross? Entirely. Impossible? No. Another explanation, a little darker, was the day before the body was found, friends of the family were all over the house. Maybe somebody found her sooner than they're actually telling. We have to look at the call Patsy made to the police on the day of the alleged kidnapping. She said, we have a kidnapping. That's so disconnected and passive to me. Not my daughter is missing, so impersonal. She didn't even mention her daughter until further into the conversation, choosing to focus on the note instead. It's just odd behaviour, honestly. Where was the panic? Where was the hysteria? She also hung up before the police actually arrived and this is out of the ordinary as you'd usually stay on the line with authorities to keep you updated when they're going to arrive and for reassurance. Although I like this theory, we have to address the others in this situation. There were some weirdos out there. We have Gary Oliver, a known sex offender who actually lived near JonBenet at the time. He called an old friend, Vale, the night of the murder, out of sorts and claiming he'd hurt a little girl. Bizarrely, he was found to have similar stun gun marks as Jean Bonnet. Odd for sure, but nothing came of it. He did allegedly confess to actually killing Jean Bonnet in letters he sent to Vale from prison. He wrote, I never loved anyone like I did Jean Bonnet, and yet I let her slip and her head bashed in half and I watched her die. It was an accident, please believe me, she was not like the other kids. He wrote in another, Jean-Benet completely changed me and removed all evil from me. Just one look at her beautiful face, her glowing beautiful skin, and her divine god body, I realized I was wrong to kill other kids. Yet by accident, she died, and it was my fault. Now Vale has always believed Oliver to be responsible for the murder. He claims he tried to tell police back in 1996 that he was the man they were looking for, but investigators never got back to him. In 2000, Oliver was arrested on an unrelated charge, but at the time, police found a photo of Jean Bonnet, a poem he'd written titled Ode to Jean Bonnet, and a stun gun in his possession. Police also found hundreds of photos and videos on his phone, all of Jean Bonnet, although investigators at the time theorised that a stun gun could have been used to subdue Jean Bonnet. When the DNA evidence wasn't a match, they dropped him as a suspect. Do I think he did it? I mean, as far as being a suspect goes, it's definitely plausible. Do I think the police should look into it more? For sure. However, he could just be another weirdo with an obsession who has convinced himself he's the murderer to give his life some meaning. I don't know. We also have Bill McReynolds, a Santa who dressed up at Christmas parties and he'd been given this jar of glitter from Jean Bonnet one year. He took this jar into his heart surgery with him and asked that should he die it should be mixed in with his ashes. I mean, that is really creepy but maybe she just made a good impression on him and he never forgot her. I know, I know, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here. Whoever the culprit is. Somehow, they managed to cover their tracks just enough that nobody sticks out enough as a prime suspect. I feel like this is one of those cases where the evidence actually is hindering the investigation. I mean, blood evidence is super important of course, but it's making investigators overlook literally everything else that could point to somebody else. It's heartbreaking this kid isn't going to get justice she deserves because the bastard that killed her is getting off scot-free. I know the case is still open and they're revisiting evidence, but I'm holding out a little hope here. My personal verdict? It's either the sex offender or the brother with a handy-dandy cover-up from mum and dad. Burke, please don't sue me. Anyways, guys, that's it for this week. I'd love to know your opinions on this one. Who do you think did it? Have you got a suspect at the top of your list? Hit me up on any of my socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that jazz, and let me know. And be sure to tune in next episode for more murder, crime, and mystery. If you're not already, hit that follow button so you're never missing out on another episode. Catch you next time, fellow crime enthusiasts, and until then, remember to look over your shoulder and try not to get murdered. Tschüss!